Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Cam, I'm your host, and maybe we'll start with a life update for those of you interested in my life. Um, This is day one with no driver's license. I just got it suspended due to some reckless speeding. Um, Yep, that happened. Actually, a few months ago, I was driving down my street goes from an 80 to a 50 zone and I was singing very loudly in the car not focusing all that much on the fact that it cracks into a 50 and I live out in the farmlands in my defense that 50 really creeps up on you and then it was a double demerits weekend because it was a long weekend here in Australia and next thing you know Police pulls me over. It's actually my first time ever being pulled over. Um, I was pretty nervous and got a massive speeding fine. And he told me at the end, because I'm on a provisional license here in Australia. So I basically got my driver's license here at the age of 28 last year. Um, I got my driver's license in Canada when I was super young, but because I was leaving for university, I never went for my full license. I wasn't going to have a car. I was living in downtown Montreal and I don't know. I just didn't care. I guess I be having a car was just so never on my radar of like things to do, I guess, because I lived in the city and Then when I lived in the British Virgin Islands, um, driving without a license was very much a thing. So I did that for a while. And then, yeah, like traveling the world, I, it never even crossed my mind. Like every so often I'd look up the road situation, like the license situation in the country that I was in, but it either took too long or it was super expensive in some countries. So I just continued the like, no car thing. Anyways, when I landed in Australia last year, um, I'd already gotten my L's, which is your very first like step of a written test. I did that last time I was in Australia a few years ago. So I could go straight away from my in-car license. And I just did that. I got my license and Then I was a speed demon a few months ago and because I was on such a new license, they actually just yank your license straight away. They don't even like demerit points or not even really a thing. And you're able to appeal the suspension. So my suspension was actually supposed to be for three months and I appealed it and today was the court date and she reduced the sentence to one month. So... I am without license for one month, which after so many years without a car, it's very interesting to observe like the psyche shift from having no, it not even being on my radar of things to it being such a big part of my life. Where I live now out in the countryside, I'm super reliant on a car and on driving and it's actually going to be a nice month of slowing down um working more Mm, 
doing some at-home yoga, <laughs> probably, instead of driving to the studio. Um, but yeah, you know, shit happens. And I think the coolest thing out of all of this has been watching the way that my mind has been really at ease with all the potential outcomes you know even when I got pulled over I was kind of like okay this is happening and from a really like separate like separate from the experience it's like really I was watching it and kind of being like oh okay this is the movie it's playing out this way let's see how where it goes and not even really I mean obviously I would have liked my license not to get suspended but I was really at peace with whatever happened and yeah it's interesting to to reach a place where you don't even feel it's not even authentic to hope for a certain outcome like having been much more into meditation really long meditations daily actually I can't even like pray for a specific outcome because it feels untrue you know it feels like all I can do is is speak the truth like give my case to the magistrate and let them decide and trust that whatever happens is is exactly how it's supposed to happen and yeah there's been a few things I guess I touched on it a bit in the last episode it's really true with romantic relationships like we have this ideal outcome that we want but having experienced so much in that relationship that is forced I guess surrender is probably the word just surrender to what is and here's I mean here's an example with a romantic relationship we think we want to be with someone right and it actually it actually only increases in desire I think the more committed we become even because you meet someone and you like them you hope it goes right you hope that they like you back and you hope to go on a second date or to continue hanging out and then potentially you're exclusively dating you're not dating anyone else and you think okay it's a step in like it's a step in the direction of of uh maybe a life partner and then maybe you move in together or maybe you get engaged and all these steps there's this sense of like commitment maybe or safety maybe but really with every degree of air quotes safety there's also a larger degree of fear of loss it's like built into the having right even you get your driver's license automatically there's the potential of losing it and yeah in that duality it's just super interesting to witness myself evolve through those steps of getting things that I think I want and then having to completely surrender to the fact that you can't actually control keeping things in the case of a car sure you can (laughs) not speed that definitely helps your case but in terms of romantic relationships like it takes two and in one sense I may want to be in a relationship with someone but if they don't want to be in a relationship with me 
that's actually it like kind of cancels out the deal like our pain is built into the clinging of wanting the relationship but I don't even know if this is going to make any sense it makes sense in my head but to express it is a whole other thing but we often want outcomes at the expense of what other people want and so when it comes to things like prayer in the conventional sense of prayer of asking for something because that's how most people pray like that's actually not what prayer is at all prayer is not conventionally an asking for anything prayer is a state of being I have a great little audio clip I'll play for you in a second Um, it's an Osho discourse on prayer and it talks about Jesus and his relationship to prayer it truly it made me cry actually the first time I heard it um but anyways um what was I saying oh yeah most people pray and ask for stuff and it just doesn't make sense to do that because things are unfolding as they're unfolding to ask for anything is almost it's kind of psycho so like in the it's an easy under it's easy to understand in the confines of a relationship so let's say someone even it's your husband let's say your husband cheats on you and wants to be with the other person if you pray for him to stay what a gross abuse of power like the person you claim to love doesn't want to be with you and you want them to be with you at the expense of their own happiness it's just so absurd really when you peel back the layers of this concept of hope or or faith or prayer in terms of manipulating outcomes it's like things are happening in a greater scheme and there's so many people involved in every desire that we have that to want things that we don't have i don't i yeah, that's as far as I'm going to take it for now because it's kind of a mindfuck for me at the moment. But yeah, I experienced that deep surrender in the court experience and I'm experiencing it more and more in my heart as well with romance. It's like the only thing you can really do is surrender to reality and find such reverence and respect and love for reality and reality is life in the present moment without the story of the past or the future it just is what it is so my situation right now no license for a month there's a reason for it I mean obviously I was speeding but there's a greater reason too we can't always know why things are happening um, but we can find grace which to me is surrender to what is okay what else um nothing really to report in terms of covid in australia where i'm in byron bay it's very chill um i don't think you even know there's a global pandemic going on although down south in victoria it's pretty intense at the moment and a lot of people are moving up this way um which is cool i guess good for them my visa my tourist visa that I'm on here is up January 13th, very auspicious day, also my mom's birthday, and I have no idea where to go next. I keep hopping around in my mind. Part of me wants to avoid winter, 
at all costs. Um, come January, the Northern Hemisphere is going to be in winter, so that's not very appealing to me, but there's a lot of restrictions still in place around the world when it comes to travel, and part of me is exhausted of feeling so ungrounded in countries that I am kind of always transient in, so I'm not sure on that front. Um... What else? I had a full-blown existential crisis two weeks ago. I think I might have talked about it in the last podcast. I'm not sure. Oh, actually, I didn't. It happened after that. Um, I was building. It's been building up to this probably for many lifetimes, to be honest. But I was in a yoga class um, at a studio near my house here. And the instructor... I go there pretty regularly and the instructor, it's small classes out back of their house and the instructor has kind of seen me have a bit of up and down emotionally these past few weeks and at the end of class I went and spoke to him about, well I heard him over, I heard him speaking to another student she was making a reference to her shoulder no she was saying about shoulder pain he made a reference to when there's pain it's like opening the uh, door to a room in the house that you didn't know you had and I was walking out of the student I was like ah, yeah I'm gonna ask him so he finished with her and I asked him I, I like brought up the reference that he made to the house and then I asked him what happens when you realize that the house doesn't exist and he, oh, <laughs> like pretty intense question, I guess, but I was in such a like ungrounded, confused place in my like self-exploration that I thought he might be able to ground me a little bit. And he did the opposite, bless him. His intention was so good. We like sat outside in the sun for a few minutes, started talking, but he was like, you know, just go to the beach and like anchor yourself and blah 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 and like it just he didn't understand where I was coming from and in his defense I don't even know where I was coming from I was just so confused with my sense of self which I guess I've kind of touched on in Instagram a little bit and most of the things I'm sharing are going in that direction more and more but due to my increased meditation and my deep diving into Osho oh I gotta play you that clip about prayer I hope I don't forget um and being involved in a romantic relationship that's really just peeled me back and given me a mirror to look at myself from I have been peeling back layers of my identity and like really questioning who am I? Actually, after that yoga class, I had I was just crying in the car. I sat in the car and I just started crying and I call, I FaceTime my mom. And I was like, "Mom, who am I?" And she's just laughing like her and I are on a very similar journey at the moment and she totally gets where I'm coming from and all these types of things and I was just like, "Who am I?" Like genuinely, if you sit with that question, "Who am I?" It can take you to the other side I mean complete identity dissolution because 
we like to think of ourselves as being x y and z you know whether it be character uh, I'm a good person, I'm a kind person, I'm a funny person, whether it be um, roles that we play, like I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, or jobs that we have, you know, I'm a writer, but like we aren't those things. Those are hats or masks that we put on and we would still be those, we would still be us without identifying as that. And I've been really diving into shadow work, definitely prompted by that romantic relationship I spoke about in last week's episode that just seeing myself as not always being good and not always being kind and even if my intention is kind, it could be actually quite abusive, like trying to help people, you know, having a massive awakening to the fact that unsolicited help is abusive that was genuinely like earth shattering for me i it it like wiped my slate clean when it comes to like the who am i question because i'd always approached this wellness world from a place of wanting to help others and in just the way that i operate I've realized how destructive it can be to relationships to play the savior, you know, to always have a solution for something, to always have an answer. It's like, you you know what? People just want to be heard most of the time. They don't actually give a shit about how you think you would fix the situation or how you think you would have done a better, like you would have done a better outcome or whatever. It's like, I don't know. It was it was earth shattering for me. Um, it was completely ego shattering to have it in my head that like I'm doing it to help, but really it's just abusive. Anyways, so I've been really questioning who am I and I FaceTime my mom and like was crying and just being like, who am I? And my beautiful mama was like, Cam, if God is the sun you are one of its rays and like we're not religious in the conventional sense like my I wasn't raised religious and God is not a man in the sky um but yeah I thought that was very beautiful and after talking to her I realized that my existential crisis was rooted in this like disconnected understanding of who I am in that I was always trying to get out the other side of this like crisis that I was going through I kept thinking okay I'm 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 all I'm up through the other side of it like it's it's over but then just talking to my mom I realized that there is no other side and that even in trying to get to the other side I was actually perpetuating the problem that will probably not make sense to most people but anyways um oh let me play you the osho thing now before i forget because it's actually quite beautiful and yeah let me just go for it and what are your prayers they are also your desires you want this you want that you are trying to use god as a means Jesus looked at existence 
life. A disciple asks Jesus, what is prayer? He falls on his knees and he starts praying. The disciple says, I am asking what is prayer. I am not asking you to pray. And Jesus says, there is no other way. I can pray. You can participate. I invite you to be part of my prayer. I cannot say what prayer is. But I can go into prayer because prayer is a state of being, not something that you do. I mean, pretty powerful concept. And sorry, that was super disjointed. I mean, I talked about it a bit earlier in my ramble. But anyways, at least I remembered to play it for you. And it's an excerpt from a discourse by Osho where the question is what is prayer so if you want to get the full answer to that question it's about a 20 minute it's a short talk you can download um it's called ask bagwan b-h-a-g-w-a-n it's an app and i highly recommend it it's fantastic Actually, here's another life update. One last one before I dive into the Q&A is that I got my manifested this actually because I didn't even know this existed and it essentially fell into my lap is a six terabyte hard drive of every Osho talk since the 70s. They're mostly videos. Um, there's some MP3s too and all of his meditations recorded there's even him talking about the like story behind his specifically devised meditations like the dynamic meditation and holy moly i'm stoked it yeah i've been listening to them most evenings kind of like a discourse and as far as i can tell osho is probably the most well-rounded like in air quotes preacher when it comes to the type of enlightenment that I can digest um he comes with a lot of baggage don't we all I know my first introduction to him was with the wild wild um country documentary on Netflix which is probably what most people know about him but having explored his teachings and having attended the Osho Festival in Portugal, you know, I, the documentary is like water off my, water off your back. Is that a saying? I think that's a saying. It's completely hilarious to me to dismiss the absolute gold that comes out of this man's mouth when it comes to Zen and no mind, pure gold. Anyways, so yes, prayer, that talk that he gave. I was driving in the car on my way home when I listened to it the first time and I started crying because it just clicked. Religion clicked for me in a way that never had because I went to a Catholic school in primary school and like he said, prayer was so 
commercialized it's like you were praying for something as opposed to being in a state of prayer prayer is enlightenment like prayer is meditation prayer is not a destination it's not a goal it's not a an asking or a request it's genuinely a state of being and so to hear that story about jesus's disciple asking him how to pray and that his answer was prayer is not a doing prayer is a state of being it just like it's like i hit a brick wall and like crashed through the other side and was like oh i've been lied to for 29 years like i've been lied to and the whole institution that is religion is just so manipulative when at its core religion is actually so beautiful anyways let's just move on let's start the q a <laughs> 25 minutes in but anyways you know all my ramblings in general are pretty much the same whether it's just a ramble or it's a question and answer it's really just all food for thought and i'm sure that despite this 25 minute intro hopefully it gave you tools for self-reflection or planted some seeds for you to like i don't know do something with at some point okay the first question is how did you get into freelance slash what uh, what's it like so i actually wrote an article on my website that i published a while back now um you can type in freelance becoming fully human on your search engine and it'll surely pop up but i thought i'd just talk about it a little bit um now that i'm a few years into working freelance full-time um like when i wrote that article it had been about a year but i was still in a phase of like how is this isn't gonna last because it was too good to be true and I think that that's probably a useful mentality to have in general when it comes to life because everything is impermanent so if we get too attached to good things or bad things um, we suffer but now that I've been doing this for a few years I guess I can speak more confidently about it although I don't really have that much more to say anyways I'll just ramble a bit um freelancing i guess for those who don't know what it is is basically working for yourself um with clients but without any contract so or long-term contract i guess so there's no job security um generally it comes with a higher wage as a result because you're working project to project and but what I have found, at least personally, is that if you work well, you're going to continue to get work with specific clients. So it's daunting, I guess, conceptually to not have like a job to go to specific days of the week and guaranteed income or a guaranteed salary or a guaranteed amount of hours. But yeah, in my experience, it's been super cruisy, although I can't say that my experience is probably all that conventional because you know how many years like three or three and a half years now of full-time freelance and I still have yet to actually apply for any of the jobs that I've gotten this 
life chose me truly um it started when i water fasted for seven days a few years ago i think it was 2000 maybe the start of 2018 or maybe the end of 2017 i water fasted for seven days it was my first water fast and i'd wanted to fast for a while i just did a lot of research and um about like just how to do it what to expect all that kind of stuff i pretty much think i read everything that has ever been written on the internet about fasting and then I dove in and did seven days. And during that time, I built my website, becomingfullyhuman.ca. And I had the vision to build this website for years. I had the name picked out. I actually bought the domain name uh, like three years prior to building the site. But I let the whole year lapse on Squarespace because I just, it wasn't right. The timing wasn't right. It was when I was living in Australia last time. Anyways, so I was in Canada when I was I did this fast and built the site and launched my first few articles that were about my fasting experience. So the I wrote a seven-day fasting experience article that was like a day-to-day breakdown of what I was experiencing. And then I wrote an article on how to break a fast. And I think I wrote another one on fasting tips. And I posted this article, these articles, in a few fasting Facebook groups, one of which um, was by a functional medicine practitioner from whom I learned most about what I spoke about. Like I had done a lot of research about him and then he inspired me to fast. And so I, I linked to a lot of his articles and a lot of his website and all that kind of stuff in my article. And shared my experience along with the science that was backed from various people including this functional medicine practitioner and within about a week of posting it they asked me to be on the podcast that they host about um cellular healing and fasting um they were regularly having on like just everyday normal people and for them to share their experience about fasting and so I was stoked I was like cool I have a new website it'll be great for exposure and I said yes and they didn't contact me for a few weeks and I figured they just weren't interested and then when they did contact me they actually scrapped the podcast offer and asked me if I wanted to help ghostwrite his book which kind of blew my mind because um I had never been paid to write before and I was stoked I said yes in a heartbeat and yeah I that was my first job at the time I was living in Canada I actually was going to spend two years uh, living at home at my parents house in Toronto because I was doing a post-grad master's in holistic reproductive health and so I figured if I was at home I wouldn't have to pay rent I could focus on school for two years and so I was in school I was nannying and I was overtraining in the gym um just very much in my yang like saying yes to everything doing everything and then I got vertigo which I've spoken about before on this podcast and definitely just was doing too much saying yes to too many things I said yes to that book job and as soon as we started getting into the writing um that same company offered me um 
work writing articles for their website so I was just like non-stop I was non-stop from morning to night between like exercise and writing and nannying and school I was non-stop and getting vertigo made me realize I had to slow the f down and say no to things so first I withdrew from my program I also gave notice to my nannying job actually first I went and spent a summer in Europe so I took a break from nannying went and spent the summer in Europe and kept up the freelancing which actually like funded my life um to the point of realizing I didn't have to do anything else which was pretty daunting I guess because I've never worked for myself before and because it wasn't ever even a like it wasn't even a goal I didn't even it's not even something I knew I wanted or that I could do despite always loving to write like it was probably probably my strongest suit in university is writing um yeah it just kind of fell into my lap so it scared me a little bit and after coming back from Europe I also gave notice to the nannying job and realized that I could have a lot more freedom just writing and from the looks of it, it could sustain my life uh, income-wise. And then I moved to Europe and I spent the year there and then I spent um, a few months in the States before moving back to Australia where I currently have actually been for just over a year. My one year of being back here was October 5th and it's the 8th. So yeah, it's still working. I'm still riding the wave. And I guess what else to say about it? There's pros and cons to everything. The pros, the pay for me is really good. Um, In terms of wage, honestly, there's no way of knowing what the going rate is for anything. And there's so many different ways to freelance, right? You can do videography, you can do graphic design, you can write, you can be a photographer. Um, But yeah, the going rate, some people pay per hour some people pay per project some people pay per word and you have to know your abilities you have to know your own worth and I think really you have to go with the flow I was asked what my rate was for my very first job when they offered me the position helping ghostwrite this book and I never had a rate before so uh, I said that I trusted them in choosing a fair wage for me and that we could renegotiate if the workload didn't feel like it matched the the wage. I think that that's a really, actually a pretty powerful way to negotiate wage and also to see how much your employer respects you. Like if they're going to really lowball you, it's probably going to be indicative of the relationship that you're going to have with them. My employer, well, the client that I worked with first gave me a wage that was almost double what I was making nannying. So I was like stoked because despite loving the family that I was nannying for and loving those kids to death, I still do. um, This felt like a career move for me. It really excited me in that way and the freedom that it would give me. And yeah, it was it was very exciting change and the fact that I was doubling my wage to do something that I absolutely loved was unbelievable 
Um, and then after that, wage-wise with them, that was per hour my first my first um, like invoicing with that client was per hour work. And then after that, when I was writing articles for them, the, the wage was per article, which worked for a while because again, it was already increasing my income from the previous job. And then, and then another client um, offered me work and they offered me their starting wage, which was like four times what I was making with this current client. And so it kind of opened my eyes, I guess, to how much other people are paying. And I was super nervous, but I approached my um, first client and explained to them that like the wage that I was getting with the other client actually both clients knew of one another I guess the health industry is pretty like small in, in terms of the big names that put out a lot of content and anyway so I said will you match their per word fee and they said yes so that was cool um but yeah I guess my advice there is to be humble like don't be afraid to ask for what you feel you're worth but also don't be concerned with what other people are making. That's why I'm not giving you number figures in terms of what I'm making or what I have made in the past because it's just going to impact your sense of what you should make when the reality is you should take the offer and sit with it. Just ask yourself. Like It really doesn't matter what anyone else is making. Someone is always making more than you. Someone is always making less than you. So look at the figure in front of you look at your abilities, your skills, your experience, and just see if it feels right or not. I think that's really the only way that you can go about making any decisions in general. It's like comparing to someone else is pointless because you're not in that situation. You're in the situation that you're in. And so yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about the wage. And since I get paid decently, I've just opted to work about a day or two a week instead of working full-time and making a very high like yearly income I just am not that phased with money and I would much rather like chill (laughs) most of the time so yeah I just have been enjoying life more than material shit so I've just opted for living simply and working very little which is definitely a pro of freelance working as is flexible hours like you can do the work whenever you want um you can work naked at home um and you can live in any country on a tourist visa that's a massive pro for me like i've been back in australia for a year now and i would not have been able to live here for a year without making any money but since i my clients are abroad mostly in the u.s I'm not taking an Australian job, so I get to be here on a tourist visa and still make money, which is pretty cool. Cons, um, you definitely need work ethic. No one's going to force you to work. There's no structured work environment. I mean, there's ways around that. For a while, when I was getting used to it, I would go out to cafes to work more so or to the library because you're in an environment where other people are working, so it kind of feels like almost like your co-workers like there's people doing stuff so you should do stuff 
Um, You definitely also need boundaries, which are rooted in self-worth. So it's like learning to say no to things that you don't want to do. And most people say yes out of fear, especially when you're in an environment with unstable income, like in freelance work. It can be very easy to just say yes to anything that comes your way. But in my experience, that's detrimental on so many levels to your self-worth, also to the opportunities that will find you if you actually step into your worth. So an example is I got a lot of offers for social media gigs when I started kind of um, having a stronger online presence with my website. SEO has, like Google has this SEO algorithm and I think that a lot of people are aware of how much traffic websites get and I don't know, I get a significant amount of emails from people with various offers, for example, for me to write for them or for them to write for me or for product sponsorship inquiries so people want me to write an article on my website advertising a product and I have said no to 100% of things that feel misaligned for me Um, social media stuff being one of them I have absolutely no interest in doing social media for anyone else Um, same with paid content on my website it just doesn't interest me Um, I don't want to be a slave to the content I really enjoy writing when and about what feels right when it comes up and so yeah working for yourself can be dangerous if you don't have boundaries because you can lose yourself and yeah there's other cons and there's other pros surely but those are what come up for me and uh, the last thing I'll say about that I guess is there's kind of the question of how to get clients and I actually just don't know (laughs) Since every client thus far has found me, the only advice I can give you in terms of that is being your authentic self in the world, first of all, and also in your online presence. Because if you showcase the person that you are, to me, like attracts like. So my website, for example, came from such a genuine place of where I was at and my interests that it's like the universe just puts people together that are on the same vibration and so I think getting really good at being authentic in as many of your day-to-day situations as possible don't ever dull who you are like show your weird side let people into the way that your mind works and then the more you do that the more you're going to attract opportunities that are in line with where you're at and yeah I guess also getting to know the brands that you would like to work for know their voice and ask yourself honestly if you're capable of contributing similar content to the kind of content that they put out Um, and then ask them ask them if they're hiring I guess that's all I've got for that oh yes let's move on alrighty the next question is is there anything you regret in this life um Yeah, the concept regret is very interesting. No, I'll say no. Um, There's nothing that I regret in this life, but more so because the concept of regret itself is so flawed. Like regret is delusional self-abuse 
It's delusional because you're pretending that you could have known better. We cannot know better than we know at the time. It's physically impossible. From where you are now, with the wisdom that you have now, you know better only because you experience the repercussions or the effects of your, in air quotes, mistake. There are no mistakes. The concept itself of mistake is completely flawed. Like, it's based maybe on a more scholastic model of right answers and wrong answers. And as if you can like study your way to getting the optimal outcomes in life, it's just not possible. We experience life and we grow through the experiences and we navigate from that place. You can't ever look back and think I should have done something differently or I should have known better. You can't know better than you know. There's just no way around it. What you did at the time, that if you're carrying regret with you, what you did at the time was what you thought would yield the most optimal outcome. That's it. So it's self-abuse because the regret that you're clinging to, it's the notion that you should have known better than. Like you're punishing yourself in the now based on something you didn't know then. So it's carrying it like a like a martyr. Like you're carrying your burden like a victim, carrying it through the past and into the present moment continuously, continuously, and actually keeping it alive inside of you. Regret is sadistic. Like it's truly sadistic. You can't do better than you did. It's just not possible. And when we look in nature, you know, things blossom in their divine timing there's so many analogies you can look at the butterfly you can look at a rose like the rose doesn't blossom and look back on its life as a bud thinking oh should have blossomed earlier like it happens in divine timing and when you know better you do better so that's the gift of the now is that you get to take the wisdom you learned in the past experience and you get to apply it to your future life Um, I'll read you a short story that I really love. It's a Zen story um, about two monks. And it's called Muddy Road. Tanzen and Ekdo were once traveling together down a muddy road. A heavy rain was still falling. Coming around the bend, they met a lovely girl in a silk kimono and sash, unable to cross the intersection. Come on, girl, said Tanzan at once. Lifting her in his arms, he carried her over the mud. Ekdo did not speak again until that night when they reached a lodging temple. Then he could no longer restrain himself. We monks don't go near females, he told Tanzan. Especially not young and lovely ones. It is dangerous. Why did you do that? I left the girl there, said Tanzan. Are you still carrying her? So the story speaks for itself, but it's really to drive the point home that your only problem is that you're carrying your past into your now. Let go of your regrets, forgive yourself, forgive other people, and move the fuck on. The next question is, how do I stop caring so much about what people think of me? This is definitely a massive subject and it kind of branches out into 
many different things. Um, I know for many, most of my life actually, only really in my 29th year of existence, which is um, this this past year, I'm, I'm nearly 30, this past year of my life for the first time, I can genuinely say that I love myself independently of what other people think or feel about me and there's a huge movement at the moment you know the self-love movement and the problem with the self-love movement is that it is so superficial in that well first of all it often revolves around like the treat yourself mentality of like take a bubble bath and you know have chocolate or get a massage and Although those things are pleasant, they actually don't address what it means to love yourself, which to me is at the core of this question of not relying on external validation to feel worthy in the world. Self-love is a complicated topic because there's so many things that influence uh, the lack of our ability to love ourselves. And you know, it starts, actually it starts before conception because we take on a lot of the beliefs um, that our parents hold. But between like transgenerational trauma, direct trauma, secondhand trauma, our karmas, all the fear, which is pretty much how mainstream society runs, it operates on fear. Um, to cultural narratives and ideals, your astrology sign, like we're inclined to be more this or that, um, your socioeconomic status, your religious upbringing. There's so many different factors that play in to, I'll call them roadblocks, um, but truly they're actually gifts because anytime that we get triggered or that we feel something that doesn't feel good, fear or Um, yeah, anything that isn't love, to be honest, it's giving us a tool to explore ourselves and to understand um, how we may have cultivated a coping mechanism, for example, to overcome something difficult in childhood or to unwind the beliefs and patterns that we've picked up over a lifetime. And yeah, so to love yourself independently of what other people think Um, A big part of that is actually exploring your shadow. Um, I touched on this in the last podcast a little bit, and I actually did write an article that I'm going to flesh out more specifically on an entire shadow work podcast, but the article is called Shadow Work 101. What is your shadow and how to integrate it? And the concept of the shadow, people define it in such different way, but essentially it's your um, the denied aspects of yourself, the parts of yourself that you don't want others to know about, that you don't like, that you're ashamed of. Um, they're all the characteristics that mainstream society narrative deems to be as like flawed or unfavorable or bad. And so when the duality of having good behavior or bad behavior or acting in a right way or a wrong way, because of that 
duality of right and wrong we like to operate in the world in a way where people think that we're good that we're kind that we're funny that we're nice those are all the good you know the the favorable those are the things that we like to be perceived as when in reality we as humans have the capacity to be all things we are nice sometimes and we're not nice sometimes we're kind sometimes and we're selfish sometimes and the more we suppress our shadow side the more we need other validation others to validate us because we're like projecting this good side of us and we need others to validate that that's who we are you know we haven't completely come to terms with our whole self light and shadow to the point where people can act any way they want around us and we know that the way people act is always a reflection of them so a a good example is actually beauty someone can come to you and say oh you're so beautiful you know and oh I love hearing that. That's great. Thank you. I'm, you know, I'm beautiful. That's a, it's a compliment. If someone else comes to you and says you're ugly, all of a sudden that hurts. It's like, what? I'm ugly? We get triggered or we feel rejected or whatnot. When in the reality, you look the way you look. For someone to compliment you on your beauty or for someone to call you ugly is their perception of you. It has it actually has nothing to do with who you are, like what you are or what you look like because the way people treat you is always going to be a reflection of their lens. If that makes sense. So basically taking compliments personally is just about as dumb as taking rejections personally. You know, people navigate the world with all their own shit and then they treat you accordingly. And so if you can actually learn to sit with yourself and get to know all the guests, you know, Leonard Cohen's song, The Guests, it's like some parts of us are so confident. Some parts of us are anxious balls of darkness, like hot messes, right? We have all these different people inside of us, all these different facets, and Self-love to me, which is the root of confidence and self-acceptance, is acknowledging all the different sides of you. And so doing shadow work is very important because when you look at these parts of you that you don't conventionally like, it takes their power away. It's massive with anxiety, you know. We're constantly trying to suppress it and pretend it's not there instead of just sitting with it and even when it comes to anxiety it's like if you get social anxiety sit down and journal about it write all the worst possible scenarios write all your biggest fears and look at them on paper and you know question them like question your mind and question the the narrative that you've been telling yourself about all the worst possible things that could happen when you put things on paper it really takes their power away um So yeah, I mean, I think I'll read the article. It's it's much longer and all-encompassing. It should give you more of um, a framework and 
and tools to explore this stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the start for me. I mean, there's no one way to do it. We all have so many different things to deal with and process and heal from. But if there's one thing I know, it's that pretending they're not there only reinforces them. It creates guilt. It creates shame. Like until you have the capacity to completely own all the facets of you, there's work to be done. And I mean, Byron Katie's the queen of this, really. She her work, I mean, she calls it the work, is incredible for cutting right to the core of, of, I mean, unpeeling the onion. It's like, it's laser sharp. Her four questions, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? Who would you be without that thought? And how do you react when you believe that thought? And then the turnaround, it's powerful work. And so really at the core of shadow work, is getting to know all the aspects of yourself, right? All your different sides and actually welcoming it in and sitting with it and not repressing or, you know, hiding away in any way. Only to the point of actually letting it all go. Because once you have the capacity to just be and realize that all these identities that we cling to, I am this, I am that, they're all stories. And Our ego clings to these stories to have a sense of self. And when that's who we think that we are, that identity that we've created, you know, I am a uh, Canadian writer, you know, I'm a good person, I'm kind, I'm giving back, I'm blah, 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 I volunteer. If I cling to that identity of these things that I do or the things that I want the world to perceive me as, then I'm constantly at the mercy of the world and the way that it perceives me. If I have to uphold this identity of what the world, I want the world to see me as, there's no escaping, there's no freedom, there's no way of self-love because that isn't the entirety of me. I'm selfish sometimes. I can be short with people sometimes. I can get frustrated, you know? It's like all these I can get angry. The things that come up and the more that they come up and the more that you don't try and suppress them, it actually kind of just fades away. You know, you'll see the anger come and then it'll go and it just, it rises up and passes away. It rises up and passes away because it's the concept that this too shall pass. Like if we cling to any fixed permanent type of identity, then yeah, we're at the mercy of the world. I always need to be perceived as kind. And if someone calls me anything other than the thing my ego identifies as, then I freak out. So to care less about what other people think, you have to start peeling off the layers of your identity, really. First, get to know them all, welcome them all in, and then realize that we aren't a fixed thing. We ebb and flow like all things in nature and... What other people think of you becomes so obviously their shit once you get to know yourself. So get to know yourself. The question, who am I, is profound. Write it on a piece of paper, who am I, and start journaling. And then once you're done writing, ask yourself, is it true? Like, does that characteristic that I wrote or that job title or that, you know, X, Y, or Z, is that truly who you are? Because if you take that away, are you still you? 
yes you are so is that truly your who you are Mm, probably not but do the work for yourself and question your thoughts and hopefully that gets you started um I know it was pretty life-changing for me to start asking those questions okay the last question um was actually asked in three different ways and this is a massive topic too and it's something i actually really don't have the answer to um it is probably the most prominent question that kind of flows in and out of my mind space um i'll read you all three so the first one is how do you balance setting boundaries versus living from a place of acceptance um the second one is space between being present and need for achieving things and the third is balance between daily regimens versus unstructured flow time so what we're looking at is the concept of doing versus being or plan versus flow and society is structured on doing achievement it keeps us pinned in time and space being on the other hand is the eternal now it's pure freedom of flow and surrender to the to what is in the present moment as it arrives and surrender to what is as opposed to all the stories that our mind tells us about the past and the future I don't think that there's an answer here really um, other than you have to go with it as it comes naturally. This concept of surrender and flow um, is what I mean by as it comes naturally because as soon as you're trying to surrender, you've lost it. Like surrender isn't a doing, it's a being. And so in our minds, like we like to try and take states of being which is pure it's pure intuition it's pure mindfulness it's meditation it's the eternal now if we're trying to be it we're in the mind so you have to actually drop the mind to understand what it is to be what it is to flow what it is to surrender um i think some people are more inclined to flow than others and for me like I rebelled against that type of mainstream structure from a pretty young age like I would work a job for autumn winter and spring and then often just quit my job and not work for the whole summer Um, I packed up and moved across the world multiple times now I just didn't ever really ascribe to the super mainstream narrative of how you're supposed to behave in the world um yeah I think a big part of that is probably rooted in karma or past life lessons that some people learn um it to me it's the only thing that makes sense as to why some people just have more ease with surrender and with flow and with trust um some people are drawn to the nine to five grind until retirement you know ticking all the boxes and others aren't so I don't think that there's one way to live and it goes back to the blossoming flower concept that you can only realize what it means to be, to surrender, to flow in your own divine timing. You can't understand it unless you understand it and it's something that just comes naturally. 
I've said it many times before in the past that you should never pursue meditation just because, like in of itself, because it's a good thing to do. Um, But now having reached a place where it does come very naturally and I actually crave it, I can say honestly that is it is absolutely imperative to free yourself from the shackles of your mind, aka time and space, aka the doing. But this desire for freedom, like the true desire, not just the stated desire, because a lot of people claim that they want this type of freedom, but there's a lot of fear there because to be totally surrendered to the here and now, to the eternal flow of the present moment, you actually have to die. Like you have to completely shed all the layers of identity that you've identified with that keep you in the storytelling mind. And that death is quite frightening. The fear itself, of course, is rooted in the mind too. It's just a story because we can't actually fear something we've never experienced. So it's the story of where that surrender takes you that is what is generating fear. It's the mind. Um, But I'm not really sure where the honest desire for that freedom comes from. It's a mystery. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, And yeah, this goes like the, the being, the surrender, the flow, it goes against the mainstream narrative, which definitely requires planning. You know, it, it's working, it's paying bills, it's completing tasks, especially if you have children. But I think there is a massive capacity to bridge both worlds and that you can do what you're doing while you're doing it. And so just constantly bringing yourself back to the present moment. A big part of that is not carrying your mistakes on your back. Like don't be a victim of your past and don't focus on what you're going to eat tomorrow when you're eating right now. There's, that's the concept of the Buddha who he eats but he only eats when he's eating he doesn't think about what he's going to eat um it's a deep concept really because we're constantly you know eating and we're already planning the next meal so even if you can carve out these moments of absolute presence and stillness in your life when you're eating eat um when you're having a conversation with someone how present can you be with that person watch your mind Watch your mind and watch the stories that it tells itself and where it drifts off and where it loses itself. Um, It's a dance, but as much as possible, take it back to the now and get really good at catching your mind when it drifts to the past and the future in ways that that are purely storytelling. Like there's a difference between planning. Say um, you're planning a, a, a birthday party for a friend next month. Of course, that's taking you out of the present moment, right? That's the doing. But there's a difference between planning something and then letting it go until it arrives and then the perpetually being caught in worrying or thinking about what's going to happen during the party. It's a massive difference. Um, you, really, the cultivation is through meditation. I, I can't think of another way for me. It's just been so clearly meditation that has created distance between the thinker and the watcher. 
and to the point where now I can just see my mind. It's like as soon as it drifts, I don't catch it always straight away, but I'm very aware that my mind is going off on a little tangent. And I let it sometimes and I indulge it sometimes. You know, we're quite addicted to our stories. Our ego is definitely very addicted to its identity. And even like pain, like we like, there's a, there's a masochistic like addiction there of of when we feel things or we get caught up in our victim stories it almost feels good to our ego like it's it's definitely ego fuel so yeah it's catching yourself and observing and then taking it back to the present moment or at the very least observing what is like the more you observe what is the more it allows um it to dissipate like the the hold that it has on us so yeah, I hope that made sense. Definitely that's where meditation comes in. There's also pranayama is great for it, breath work. Um, our breath is such a powerful tool because it's this subtle thing that goes in and out our entire life. And when you're watching it, you're watching it. And as soon as your mind drifts, if you come back to your breath, you know you're being present. And as soon as your mind drifts, you come back to your breath. It's why people count uh, prayer beads. It's very obvious when you've lost count that your mind has gone off. And everyone operates differently. But for me, Byron Katie's work has actually just been non-negotiable. She gives these tools to cut to the root of your story and really look at it on paper to the point where it completely dissolves. Actually to the point where you can laugh at the scenarios you thought were absolutely devastating. Um, her books are great also for me listening to her work with clients one-on-one either on youtube or she has a few audiobooks where it's like byron katie doing the work it's been amazing just to see how absolutely present and compassionate she is with all the stories that we tell ourselves and how freeing it can be to just bring it back to the now to the flow to the surrender and her story i mean her story is incredible but i'll let you explore that if you feel called to i know for me i i discovered byron katie through my mom years ago and it didn't click at first so like anything don't force anything on yourself that doesn't feel right but have it as a potential tool either now or for the future Oh, and the third question, it kind of dealt actually with a little bit of a different topic. Um, It was more acceptance versus boundaries, like how, when to surrender and accept and when to set boundaries. Um, Boundaries are interesting. They're important until they're not. And I think that only can really make sense through experience, but basically the key to setting boundaries for me has been that it comes from a place of total equanimity, that there's no tension, there's no anger, there's no retaliation, there's no agenda. Like we can often set boundaries when actually there's work for us to do. Actually, I I really think that Almost any time we set boundaries, there's still work for us to do, but sometimes we need to set the boundaries in order to give us space to breathe um, and self-reflect and heal. Um, But yeah, simply removing yourself from situations when it feels intuitively right and 
the awareness that your boundaries may change with time in that I think often they soften. So I know personally, I actually set boundaries with two people this year. Um, One friend, a guy, and one girl who was not a friend. Um, hmm, How to dive in without getting too detailed. I became friends with her ex-partner and it created a lot of resentment and jealousy and tension between her and I. And I just had no part in it. Like I just didn't want any part in it. So I completely removed myself and set boundaries around her of no interaction, you know, blocking on social media, just not wanting that energy in my life. And with a guy relationship he was a friend and I ended our relationship because he was uh, at the time being what I perceived to be quite aggressive and verbally abusive to me I just never left our interactions feeling good so I ended the friendship and I did it in both scenarios from a place of no resentment towards the person I just knew that for my own like health and happiness I needed to not be interacting with these people and I think that that's yeah I think that's important with boundaries is that you're not setting it as like a revenge like there's no there's no anger there if there's if there's anger there then it can get a little bit squirrely a true healthy boundary is set because saying yes to the person means denying yourself so if you're saying yes to someone else and it means saying no to you you need to set a boundary um but then i had a profound experience with compassion recently i may go into it more another time but it's it's quite personal so i'm gonna keep it close to my heart for now but i just was overflowing with compassion in reflecting in my own life in like experiences and ways that I behaved unconsciously where I just realized that everyone if I could do what I did um, anyone can hurt anyone because I just did it completely unconsciously and I just I was crying like overflowing with compassion I just I can't I, I still can't really understand the situation so that's all I can really say about it but I was overflowing with compassion to the point of realizing so clearly that both those people, um, the chick and the guy that I had set boundaries with, I could just see that they were doing the best that they could with their abilities at the time. And I saw like the inner child in them. It was wild. It was wild experience. I was driving. I was crying. I was actually listening to... I was re-listening to the Osho talk on prayer and and compassion and yeah, I don't know, things just clicked on so many different levels and I had to pull the car over and send them both a message saying, hey, I think we should meet and like patch things up because boundaries are useful, but I think that in time as we soften, they dissolve. Um, 
you know, boundaries create separation. And I think at our core, like the true essence of humanity, there is no separation. So yeah, I don't know. Boundaries are an interesting one. You definitely need to cultivate the ability to set them in a healthy way, but also continuously self-reflect on why you set the boundary, what way you showed up in the dynamic, you know, that you could have potentially that you can heal from really it's not that you could have done better it's like what awareness have you gathered from the experience moving forward Um, and can you forgive because forgiveness is big if you can't forgive other people then you're never going to be able to forgive yourself and we're all we're all sinners and saints like we do it both there's we're just capable of everything we're good sometimes we're bad sometimes and if we fail to honor that in other people then we're denying our own shadow which we all have the sooner you're able to take a look at yourself in the mirror and see all the parts of you and accept all the parts of you that's self-love it's just all so connected it's all very very connected okay i've been rambling for an hour and 17 minutes so i'm going to end it i hope that you enjoyed and i look forward to talking to you again soon bye